Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today I have a really cool dude on the show, Dr. Travis Perry. I met this guy in Dallas a few weeks ago and he is a rock star. So stay with us. Make sure you share this out. Thanks so much. See you in a minute. And we're back. Let me bring Dr. Travis on. Travis, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Ken. Honored to be here. Should I call you doctor? Uh, Dr. Travis is fine. <laughs> Dr. Travis. So, so Travis, thank you for being here. I, you know, I started this show about three years ago, a little, little over three years ago. Um, and it, it, it Honestly, it was probably for selfish reasons. It, I thought, you know, I was kind of going through a rough spot, a little stuck. And I thought, you know, let me just start interviewing people and find out how they got unstuck. <laughs> and, and it's worked out. It's worked out well, actually. So, so you know, this is your life story, man. So why don't we start with um, where you were born and raised? Yeah, absolutely. So... I am a Southern Californian by birth. Uh, I, I actually really loved Southern California about 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. It was a great place to grow up. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you know, I went, I had this desire to go to Hawaii and my father one day was like, you know, son, like this is paradise. I was like, what are you talking about, dad? <laughs> Like it's 75 degrees all year round. Like you really can't beat that. So no, that's but, hard to beat. Uh, <laughs> that's so yeah, I, I mean, I, I grew up in Southern California, quite honestly, uh, I, in a family of a big family, like my own. Um, there were six kids and my mom and dad, you know, uh, just loved us, hang out with us. We grew up on this one acre parcel of land in one of the oldest homes in Simi Valley. It should have been in the historical society. And actually they came and tried to try to buy it for my mom. Um, but long wow. story, uh, we had just a great childhood growing up playing on, you know, an acre of land. And we had five acres next to us where we built bike tracks and go-karts and just did all sorts of things that, that kids love to do that I was fortunate enough to have those awesome experiences. Did, did you wear a helmet? Uh, you know, I don't remember we ever owned a helmet, <laughs> uh, you know, but later on, later on, uh, yeah. my dad did actually have an unfortunate accident, uh, on a mountain bike. And, oh. uh, and from that point on, we always wore helmets. Like wow. it, it was just like standard protocol. So I'm a big believer in them now. And, uh, yeah. it's yeah. probably saved my life a few times. But yeah. back then, like, uh, we would, you know, we were riding, flying around on our goat carts, not thinking of anything and just, no. just enjoying it, you know? You know, I, I, I think about, you know, when I was a kid, we had, I don't even remember what kind of car, a little, little tiny station wagon thing. And, 
And, and there was, you know, they put us in the back, 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 like, you know, and there was no seat belts. There was no, there was, there was no law for seat. There was not, I, I don't know how we survived. We made it somehow, but you know, so I think that, um, that, that growing up in Southern California, which I don't know much. I've been to San Diego one time in my life. Um, it was beautiful, but I don't know that much about it. So how long were you there? When, when did you? Yeah. So I, I honestly grew up in the same house my entire life. Um, and it's about three hours North of San Diego. San Diego is gorgeous. It's, it's a really wonderful place, but Ventura County, Simi Valley, it is home to the Ronald Reagan library. So I grew up with the shadows of Ronald Reagan and, um, learning all about him is, is present. And honestly, quite honestly, if you ask me who my favorite president is, it's Ronald Reagan. I love Reagan. Um, such an amazing guy. Just have nothing but good. Uh, obviously, there's things in all of our past, but he's an amazing, amazing president of the United States. And so, yeah. um, you know, I, I just uh, grew up just having a wonderful childhood. Didn't know um, much different than than uh, having big family, um, doing lots of sports. I yeah. surfed. I played soccer. You know, I'm very, very active. Our family loved to camp and and be really active outdoors. And just learn to to love sharing a room with three other brothers, <laughs> and wow. uh, you know we did all sorts of fun, stupid stuff that boys do. And my bless yeah. my mom's heart, uh, she raised five boys and had one girl, so you know she was outnumbered a lot of the time. Is so, it, and how how long were you in California again? So we were there. I was there for twenty years. Good twenty years. Okay. Yeah. And, and when, so you, you went to, were, did you go to like public schools? Did you? Yeah. yeah. Okay. That time, um, you know, I went to public schools and I did one year. We had one experimental year as a homeschooling student, you know, back before it was required. Yeah. <laughs> and your mom's and, like, no, right? we're not doing this anymore. Yeah, well, it, we actually kind of begged our parents to do it because it, uh, it yeah. was such a, it was, it was junior high. Junior high, I honestly think, should never have been invented. Um, we should just gone straight from elementary to something else. But I mean, yeah, well, you've got to have something, right? In middle school, junior high. It's such an awkward time. Oh. Such a difficult time for any kid. Um, just trying to fit in and find out who who your friends are and where, you know, really what you stand for. And, yeah. you know, so it, it is kind of a coming out of the cocoon Um time period, but also just really dumb, <laughs> really wow. useless. And I found more reasons to try to skip school during that period than any other time in my life. Cause it was pointless. Um, <laughs> I did fine in school, you know, I was like a B plus a minus student, you know, pretty much a minus and without yeah. doing much work. Um, and I'd rather honestly go skateboarding, go on my mountain bike, go do other fun things. But yeah. what actually kept me in school is when, uh, I got into high school, I got on the soccer team. And that it's like, hi, hey, man, you actually have to be here and you have to go to so many periods. Um, not wow. that I was a flunk out or anything by any means, right. Ken, but uh, right. definitely, <laughs> definitely had more motivation to, to, you know, be able to play on, on the varsity teams and things 
to keep lettering and, and, and run track and those other things. So, you know, pretty normal, pretty normal childhood, uh, just growing up and being active and yeah. uh, being excited about, you know, doing dumb stuff as kids. So you didn't get in any trouble. You just, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, <laughs> this is live. So I'm going to have to, uh, I think probably, honestly, I was a good kid. I was a, you know, like, like I said, a minus a, a student. Um, I was one of the oldest in my family. I was number two. So I kind of had to be the good example. And if I yeah. wasn't, dad was like, Trav, you know, <laughs> you're one of the oldest. You've got to be a good example. So I, yeah. I kind of labeled it like there's, there's dumb stuff. And then there's stupid. I stayed away from stupid. Right. I did some dumb stuff. Does that make right. sense? Right. Let yeah. your imagination flow, but you know, yeah. I was never arrested, never, you know, really got pulled over until I got my driver's license. So, I mean, I didn't do the illegal stupid stuff. Um, I had right. plenty of right. friends that told me all about it. <laughs> yeah. I would have been one of the friends telling you about it. <laughs> well, you so, Thank you. Thank you, Ken, yeah. for helping me not. <laughs> yeah. I would have been the guy uh, like, yeah, I don't want to be like him. So, so, so you, um, did I, did you, did you immediately like graduate high school and go into college? You know, I, I had this crazy idea that I would skip college and just be a millionaire by age 25. Like that was my design. And, and I never even thought I would go to college, Ken, quite honestly. Um, but I did a year of, uh, I did a year of junior college when I graduated high school, me and my friends were like, Hey, let's do a year of JC. I didn't take an ACT. I didn't do an SAT. I didn't really prepare for college the way that most people, you know, do. Yeah. And part of part of that, I think, was because my father, he was an entrepreneur. Um, he did some college. My mom went to like a semester and she's like, this isn't for me. So I knew that I was supposed to go do it and I was studying, but I just didn't see how that connected. Yeah. And the junior college is, is a really great option for a lot of people. It's super cheap. You can stay at home. You can work. And I worked full time for my dad's business. He had a plumbing business. And I was essentially the, the apprentice. Um, it was him, my, my two uncles, and my grandpa. It was a family business. You know, and I was third generation. I was the oldest grandson. And I was in line to take it over and 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 run with it. I was their retirement plan. <laughs> Dude, and, uh, uh, you don't you don't strike me as a plumber. I don't I don't know why. Well, I don't know, man. But I will tell you, um, the plumbing company that my my grandpa and my father essentially they founded it. Uh, my wow. grandpa he he was an engineer, and he took his life savings and said, "I want to do something for myself. I want to yeah. work on my own." And I want to, you know, create this family business that the grandkids and the kids, you know, they, we can all, you know, be tight around. And so I was like three when my dad took me to work the first time. I was the plumber's helper and I went wow. to, you know, I would go with him, you know, all the time. And he would take us kids out to work with him. I learned all about service plumbing and all about how to, you know, I can pretty much do any finished plumbing work needed. I can do most repairs. I know when it's over my head. So I've never, I, I can say wow. that I've owned a home, you know, several homes with my wife. And I've never had to pay for a plumber to come in and repair a <laughs> Really? So there you go. <laughs> really? And, 
And quite honestly, Ken, I, I, I teach this to my kids. Like, I think it's incredible um, that we are skipping the trades. Like that whole dirty jobs movement. I could not agree with it more. Not yeah. agree with it more. Um, I taught in the university level. I've taught at the the college, the high school, university levels as I was going through my graduate experiences. And, you know, there are some kids that they should not be in the university setting. And I'm not trying to put anyone down like that you can't do it. Right. I just mean that I think they're sold a lie sometimes that you have to do it yeah. in order to be successful. Couldn't be further than the truth. I, I, um, I to, you know what? Plumbers and electricians own the biggest houses. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Right. I mean, they make crazy money. I know a lot of them, man. They make incredible money. Yeah. You know, I agree with you. I, I totally agree. Yeah. And you know, um, there's, there's a lot to be said, you know, when people find out, Hey, you know, you guys are, your dad's a plumber. You must be rich. I thought, well, there's six kids. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I would yeah. always ask my dad, I'd like, dad, are we rich? He's like rich in love kid. And you know, he would, he would kind of keep the money conversation out until I got older. But you know, there was a lot, there was a lot riding on my shoulders is kind of, do I go into this business? And so I worked it full time and I saved a ton of money um, so that I could go to, to college. Um, Cause that was, you know, could I transfer? Can I go to a bigger university? And I eventually did. Uh, before I did that though, it would be a disservice if I didn't mention my two year service uh, for my church. Yeah. I saved about $5,000. My parents paid for the other part of that. Um, and I went and served my church for two years in Denmark. Um, Denmark wow. was a place where my, my father's mother is from. She's an immigrant. She came here when she was 19 on a boat, took wow. a train to Idaho where she got her first job and eventually ended up down in Southern Utah where she worked at a t-shirt manufacturing uh, factory. Wow. And she met my grandfather there and, you know, the rest is history. But, um, you know, so I, I know a little bit about how my family history has affected my life. But so to be able to go back there and I served a proselyting mission, you know, I was knocking doors for hours talking to people about God. Like, wow. So taboo. Like people don't do this. <laughs> yeah. That seems like it would be, um, <laughs> it would be challenging to say the least. <laughs> Definitely. And, and it, yeah. it was a country that most people bless their hearts. I love them. I love my Danish cousins. Um, but most people just don't want to talk about God. They want to talk yeah. about anything else and they will, they'll talk to you about everything else yeah. Um, except yeah. for God. Religion and politics are just some, some weird taboos. They don't really like to talk about. So it was incredibly challenging. And I think that it really formed who I was meant to be during that time period um, where I could take that uh, experience and say, this is really who you are, Travis. You've persevered. You know, you've gone through incredible tough challenges. And it, quite honestly, that experience has served me. Say, say what you will about, you know, a proselyting mission. But I will never be able to look back and say that didn't form me as a human, as an adult. Um, yep. And I've been able to springboard from that to many, many other successes. Um, if it wasn't for that experience, there's no way I would have been 
as perseverant to follow my wife and and date her and say, okay, you don't want anything to do with me. That's all right. And six months later, you know, we were married. So I mean, there's right. there's some life skills here, Ken. <laughs> hey, it's a sales job, man. That's I, right. I, I literally said this the other day on on a show. I, I forget who I was talking to, but um, you know, I've knocked on tens of thousands of doors. I, I don't, I've, I've been in sales since I was, I don't know how seven probably. And, and I've said, I think every 18 year old on the planet should go out for at least one right. year and knock on doors and sell something, whether it's God or satellite dishes or whatever, <laughs> go get, go. Cause you learn you learn life communication skills that there's no other way to learn. Uh, 100% agree. 100% agree. Yeah. And you know, you're faced with opposition and things that, yes. uh, you know, only, only you, you normally do when you get to the real world. Right. So, um, I, I couldn't agree with you more. There's, there's something to be said about the trades and there's something to be said about having to go out and knock doors for any cause. Any cause. Any cause. Um, that, Nothing that, like uh, getting a gun pulled on you at the front door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we can talk stories. But, um, yeah. you know, <laughs> from there, I, I, uh, my father came and picked me up um, for my mission. And we toured around for two years because in our, with, in our church, Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, we don't choose where we go. Um, we could maybe say, hey, it'd be fun to go here or the other, but we're assigned. And my father happened to have gone to the same mission, um, but it was in, you know, Denmark. 20, in Denmark mm -hmm. wow. 20 years earlier. So we got to see some people that he and I both knew and we both had associations and relationships with. And then we got to visit with our cousins and we saw the country and wow. the place that my grandmother grew up. Um, he brought me there when I was a 10 year old kid. So it was a, it was a really sweet reunion really for he and I and my mom and my brothers who got to come, um, to be there and visit with so many people. And, you know, um, it was there, we started to have conversations about, well, what are you going to do next, Trav? Like what's next on your agenda? You know? And I started, we started talking about the plumbing business and we started talking about college. He's like, don't worry about it. You don't have to decide now let's go home. We'll kind of see how you, you like things and we'll set it up so that you could go that direction if you wanted to, and you could take over this business. Yeah. And, you know, for, a, I was 21 thinking, gee, what will that look like? How, you know, do I really now want to do this? Cause when I was five and I went to kindergarten, I wore my Amaron plumbing shirt and said, I want to be a plumber when I grow up because you idolize your dad. Right. And, and that's what every five-year-old sure. kid does. Um, it was like, that was that point where I'm like, Hmm, is this something I really want to do? I knew this. I knew I wanted the kind of freedom, the flexibility and the financial, you know, uh, you know, no financial ceiling that my fa my father had as a business owner. And so that was really ingrained in me. Was it plumbing? You know, was that the exact industry? And the more I did it, the more I realized, no this is a good living. This is a skill. And I will always be grateful. I'll be grateful for Amron plumbing for providing for my family. Right. Um, but I knew that there was something different for me. And 
And as I started, what I did is I started interviewing people, you know, that skill where you, Hey, um, Mr. <laughs> Person, <laughs> tell me yeah. about your job, you know? And so I started interviewing really successful people. I was doing podcasting before podcasting was cool, right? Yeah. Uh, wow. <laughs> you know, live streaming with, with other individuals. And I found the most successful people that I knew. And I just said, can I come talk to you about your work, about your job? And there was a guy who said, Travis, you would love what I do. Your skills are lining up like you would work really well in this industry. Yeah. Um, I work my own hours. I help people with their money. And I was like, wait, what do you do? He's like, I'm a financial advisor. I'm like, whatever it is you just told me, I'm going to do it. I heard flexibility. I heard, you know, money potential. I heard people like those are my three. Yeah. And, and so then I said, I want to, I want to do that. And, uh, I ended up transferring from the junior college at Moore park to Brigham young university. And literally I got a, um, a letter of decline and a letter of acceptance or an actual of uh, a letter of decline. And I got a email of acceptance in the same day from, from BYU and long story, I won't bore you, but essentially, you know, the transferring is a, is a fun little yeah. you know, a trick, but yeah. because I didn't have ACT or SAT, they only went on my GPA and they miscalculated my GPA and they sent me out this form letter. I called the counselors like, no, 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 worry about it. We got you in. You're in. <laughs> wow. So, um, so yeah, the dream of, of going to college was there, yeah. but still Ken, I didn't think I'd ever graduate. And it just wasn't in my mind that, oh, you know, you graduate, I'm just going to go to college. <laughs> wow. You know, just going to experience it. And um, how old were you, what, 23, yeah, I was 22 two? when yeah, I went to BYU and, wow. and, you know, it was great experience for me. Um, I met my, met um, and married my wife and she graduated a year before me cause she's so smart and she was like ahead on the, on the track. Um, <laughs> she, she's fantastic, but she really helped push me along to make sure that I, I graduated. Um, yeah. but I already knew what I wanted to be as a financial advisor and I got a job um, selling insurance at State Farm, and that eventually translated to me um, finding a company called Northwestern Mutual. They're kind of the big three or four of the insurance industry, kind yeah. of like the big four, you know, or three of the accounting world. Yeah. And so I knew I needed to get my feet wet, and they really helped me. Uh, they really helped me even through college learn how to be a financial planner and financial advisor. Um, but that's when all the the trouble really began, right? When you get to like where you think you're going to be, uh, it seemed like, you know, being married, we had children before we graduated. We had two kids graduating college. You know, we walked across the stage with, with two little ones under the age of three. Um, oh my gosh. No, wow. so we had to figure out this whole balance thing, right? This and this is just your, this is your undergrad. This is my undergraduate. Yeah. Yeah. By the time I got my PhD. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. No, wow. yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Ken is like, well, our, you know, family, family Jeez. values really high and yeah. we wanted to have a big family. And so we got started and you know, it's, it's this bizarre thing that, people don't do that anymore. You don't get married when you're young and you don't have kids until you're right. older. And yeah, I know, but it worked for two generations ago. Yeah. Um, and they did fine. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we're like, Hey, I, I love your old fashioned values. I love that. 
Thanks, man. It's, yeah. it's out of style, but you know, we're trying to bring it back. <laughs> we need to. <laughs> we do. Um, yeah. And yeah. the crazy thing is, you know, my degree was in not in business. It wasn't in financial planning. It was in sociology. Um, why? I can tell you why. It was the quickest degree out of BYU once I got accepted. I knew what my career path was. And like, I'm already getting on the job training. I'm already learning how to be a business owner. Right. I need the quickest way out. But I did, you know, um, put some thought into it and made a choice between history and sociology, the two credits, you know, the lowest credit <laughs> yeah. degree. And I'm not trying to make light, but I am really trying to say that sometimes, man, when you know what you're supposed to be doing and what you want to be doing, it really, to me, became a, a I'm going to finish. Here's yeah. my piece of paper. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I did it and I finished just in case something was to happen. I could go back to school. I could do something else. Um, and, but I, I literally just, I cried tears of joy the, the day I took my last test. Hallelujah. I am done with school. I can just wow. focus on being a dad, focus on, um, you know, my business yeah. and really start helping my clients and really start building it. Well, um, it wasn't, was it, that was August when I graduated and yeah. it was September, October, November, December, January. five months later, my father, who was 49 at the time, he was just a couple weeks shy of his 50th birthday, suddenly died of a heart attack. Oh my gosh. And that triggered just about everything. So here uh. I was, you know, I had idolized my dad. Um, you know, I had basically told him, thanks dad for building this business for me and dealing with the guilt of going to college and, and doing a degree, something he didn't ever finish. Right. And then blaze my own path. I know he was proud of me because he was there when I graduated and, you know, he was, he was so proud that I finished this and that I was making it on my own. And he wanted nothing more than for me to be successful. He didn't wow. care, you know, if I took over the business or not, but at 49, this was not planned. This was totally out of the blue. And he was literally riding his mountain bike at the time. He was not in, you know, he was not sitting on the couch, eating potato chips, doing the typical, you know, uh, problem, you know, behaviors that somebody with heart disease would have. But he had it. And it was something called the Widowmaker. A Widowmaker is when one, of the four major arteries you know, that go to your heart are clogged. And the crazy thing is, because those other three are working so well, your blood pressure is not high. You don't have any typical indicators of heart disease that the doctor would check for unless you knew that there was a problem, unless wow. you did an ultrasound and you really found out. So when my father was on his bike ride and crazy enough, Ken, he was riding with an EMT who spent, um, you know, as soon as my father kind of got winded, fell over, he spent about 30 minutes doing CPR on him, waiting uh, for the helicopter to come. 30 minutes is a long time. Wow. Um, and I interviewed him. His name is Tom. He's a great guy. I love him. Um, I thought, wow, Tom's with my dad. As soon as I got the phone call, I'm like, Tom will help him. He'll be fine. <laughs> it didn't register in my mind that he may have already been dead until I got home to my family and, and heard the news. Wow. That changed everything. Cause as a financial advisor, I was helping people plan for the future. I was helping them right. with insurance, 
But that was the first death claim that I had to process. You had to process your own I father's processed. death claim. Oh, jeez. I was 26. Wow, 26. dude. I had no idea what I was doing, Ken. <laughs> wow. No idea. But I had to just kind of take that I'm the oldest son, you know, and take over what's going on. And I knew the most about, you know, finances and the family as the financial advisor. And, and I started piecing things together for my mom so that she would have her house paid off, have everything organized because she really was a total mess. Um, she was, she really, um, had some major anxiety and, uh, dealt with, you know, my father's passing really bad, really poorly, well, as you well, can imagine. Were any of your siblings still, um, at home? Like, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I was, Two. geez, man, mm -hmm. that had, yeah. that One had actually, to be, it was, it was crazy. Yeah, absolutely crazy. Um, one of my siblings was actually serving his mission at the time and, uh, he chose to stay and not even come back for the funeral. He chose to stay and serve because he said, this is what dad would want me to do. So I'm going to do it. And man, look I who's, look who's here with us. Ah, Chaz. Chaz. Love that. Good dude. morning. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly right. In, in my, my brother, you know, he, he decided he would, he would stay there, um, on his mission. My other brother was just getting going in high school and that was a, a huge impact on him. Um, I stayed wow. really close to him and I still am, but you know, it affected us all. And what it did for me is it really made me question as I, you know, purchased the plot, as I picked out the, you know, casket and made funeral arrangements, um, as I try to set up mom's estate and wrote the obituary and then prepared that the final, you know, words to say at my father's funeral, I had this really crazy spiritual, you know, life-changing experience where I had this moment where I thought, you know what, dad died too soon. He didn't achieve all these things he was supposed to achieve in life. He talked about some great dreams and stuff. But actually, as I reviewed his life, as I spent a lot of time reviewing, um, I found that uh, the goals and the things that really mattered to him, he actually had achieved. He had become this person that I believe he wanted to become. At 26, I was trying to manage, you know, new family, business, just graduated, you know, with school and everything else. To have this all thrown in my face at that time was a total wake-up call. It was a total wake-up call. I was 30 pounds overweight, you know, and I'm not, I don't look overweight, right? But I was 30 you're pounds right. overweight at the time, Ken. You're like skinny <laughs> as a rail. Like when, they, know, like when somebody said, hey, let's come up with a phrase, skinny as a rail. Who can we model for? Oh, you know what? Let's get Travis. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm no Chaz Wilson, Mr. Buffman, um, yeah. that's for sure. But, you know, I'm a soccer player, mountain biker who was fit and skinny his whole life. Yeah. So when I got to 25 and it caught up to me, which it does for every male newsflash, um, I put on 30 pounds fast. I'm like, that wasn't, you know, muscle. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I wasn't really enjoying my fitness, 
my health was not where it should be. Um, as soon as I got back home, I went straight to the doctor and said, doctor, my dad died of a heart attack. What should I be prepared for? And we did every test imaginable. We even did a test that actually did an ultrasound of my carotid artery to try to find out how much buildup I have in my arteries. And it was pretty average. And I thought, well, crud, if that's pretty average and I have a propensity genetically to have this happen, what do I need to do? And the wheels started to spin. And the thought was, if I'm going to live my life on purpose, my whole tagline, if I'm going to do that, and I'm going to be like my dad in that way, then I'm going to have to not be like my dad and be healthy <laughs> and make yeah. huge changes. Um, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> it's all right. I don't mind, Victoria. I got called my whole life. It's no big deal. <laughs> but I, 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 I call it fit. Right. That's I'm, right. You are fit. Right. I'll and give you that. You are. Definitely. And you know, I ride my mountain bike all the time. I'm running, I work out, you know, I stay fit because I knew that, um, like my father, while he was riding, he was doing all those same things. There was other stuff happening internally. It yeah. was the stress. And this is what I finally got to after all my research, all of my, um, work on this, I realized that, um, I needed to really, uh, manage my stress better. And I started looking at stress so much that I looked at time management and where I was focusing my time. And I realized that I was stuck in what I call the workaholic trap. And that workaholic trap is what most business owners get stuck in. I've got to build my business. And then once you build it, well, now my clients need my time. And now I've got to do this and this. And even scaling your business really big um, has the propensity to get you attached to it. It becomes yeah. your baby, right? Yeah. yeah. And if you're not careful, that dream of freedom, flexibility, you know, unlimited financial potential becomes your trap. Right. And now you're slave to your own business and you don't have the, the ability to, to, to leave it when you want to go on vacation and live that life that you claim to, you know, have started out for. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of where I wanted to avoid and what I found myself slipping into. So I started my own practice. I left Northwestern Mutual. I started my own practice as an independent financial advisor. And I started creating the business that I wanted to. I got all sorts of coaching. I went to sorts of training and I really dug deep into what it is that I needed to do different. Yeah. Finally, I bit the bullet, Ken, and this is how I got the PhD after the name is I finally um, went back to school and said, there's only so much I can learn from other people who have learned it from the research. I need to dig into that and I need to figure out what is the secret to getting rid of stress and managing and coping it and achieving your goals because I wanted to know. So I left my business. I've kind of put it on pause. And I did some coaching on the side as I was learning and growing, and I developed some theories. And the theory that I found as I was coaching people was that there are those who really want to achieve their goals and want to do amazing things, and they get help. They get coached. Right. And that's a very popular thing to do. They get mentors and other things. Um but I found the ones who were extremely successful versus the ones who kept coming back for more coaching, which is a great model, right? If you're in that $56 billion industry of personal development, <laughs> um, it's a great model for reoccurring revenue, but it's not efficient. 
you can't show efficacy based on the models of, of individual coaching a lot of the times, because what happens is once you're done with the coaching, people tend to regress back to the mean. Yeah. So I wanted to fix that. And I could see that those who were extremely successful versus the ones that kept coming back and regressing, they had really good relationships or they had a, you know, a decent marriage. Like I could see that there was something going on with their marriage and right. I started to piece together a theory and my theory became known as couple development. And that is the idea of as a couple, keeping each other accountable, helping each other work towards similar goals or working as a supportive person toward your spouse's goals. I found in the research that John Gottman had been doing stuff very similarly, and he's one of the foremost researchers on relationships. And so I followed a lot of his stuff, and I started to teach some of this content to my own um, couple um, coaches and found that they were actually seeing incredible results from it. So I did some case study work, and then I realized goodness, if I'm going to ever bring this to the world, if I'm going to bring this into a big you know, way, I've got to research this, Ken, and yeah. I've got to find out if this is actually just me <laughs> yeah. or is this actually working with everyone else? Now, had, so, had you gotten your PhD yet or no? That's when I made the decision to go back and do the PhD. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Don't you yeah. have to, I didn't go to college, so I, I <laughs> don't you have to get a master's degree first or? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So along the way I did a master's in psychology and okay. that's really where I kind of developed this theory and started to coach. Um, okay. and then at the, it was the end of that experience. I was like, Oh man, I, I, I've got to do a PhD. And here I was, a guy who didn't think he'd make it to college, who tried <laughs> yeah. the day that he graduated going, what in the world am I doing now? And I'm, I'm watching, you know, my friends and other people out there who they're starting businesses, they're doing other things and their income and their businesses are here. And I'm going back to school, like that concept of going back. So, yeah. you know, I pushed it off and said, I'm retooling, <laughs> I'm wow. getting better, I, you know, and, and I, along the way, I kept some of my coaching clients, I kept working on the business um, and, and it evolved and my training got, got better and it, it got uh, more efficient for couples. And, and, and in, now, hold hold on one second. Yeah. How, how yeah. old were you at this point? So at that point, um, when I started my PhD, I was uh, 32. 32. So and how many, how many kids did you have? Oh yeah. Yeah. Point? And so we started with four <laughs> children. We ended with six, <laughs> oh, six on the wall. So yeah, let's, let's do a full, look how beautiful <laughs> his family is. Show, oh, here show you everybody your family. Beautiful, so, beautiful family. Thank you. And you know, it's interesting right here. You can kind of see this picture over here. This, yeah. is a picture, this is actually a Danish picture of Danish fishermen. I bought this at the end of the mission when I was touring with my family and it signifies, you know, work going yeah. out on a really good day. Um, I've got another picture on the other side. It's it's kind of a cloudy, you can't really see it, kind of a cloudy, yeah. stormy day. Yeah. And, you know, some days are good, some days not so much. But right. the reality is my family is most important, and that's what really matters to me. So oh, I keep wow. them in the center. That's, that's the symbol. That's amazing, yeah. dude. But wow. uh you know, what I, what I realized through all of that experience that my wife is phenomenal and she's incredibly supportive. So we helped build this program together. Um, and, and it really became 
solidified to me after doing all the research. Thanks, Kamala. Uh, doing all the research that that I needed to share with the world what I've learned about balance. And yes. so I wrote this book, Achieving Balance. I have it right here. And let me, let me balance it there. Love it, love it. <laughs> <laughs> and you know the the reality is that we're always out of balance. Hence the picture, right? Hence the yeah. the, the the unequilibrium. Yeah. But the time is the issue. As I trained so many couples on how to to manage their time, I found that there were really three main myths. The first myth was this myth of uh, trying to do everything at once. Now you're talking to a guy who started a business, going to PhD school, has a large family. I was yeah. involved with my church. I was trying to stay active and healthy. Um, but along the way, Ken. Do you see the irony though? I mean, you're an overachiever that's right. talking about balance. That's, right. that's, an that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Um, and, you know, uh, it's hard because you tell somebody like, oh man, you're an overachiever. Like, no, I'm just like, Achieving goals, like that's just what I do, and I've always done that. I'm, I'm uh, just teasing you, man. I, I, think I know, it's, dude. I think it's, awesome. it's, it's it's true. Like people yeah. with our personalities, like we always want to have it all, right? Yeah. We want to have yeah. it all. So yeah. I'm not saying you can't, because you can. And where my priorities were is on my family, and my wife and I knew that we wanted a large family, and I was going to have to support and provide, and because there's no way we're both doing this. Like she's right. at home and she homeschools. We yeah. changed a lot of things about our life um, because of the goals that we set. And as we set out to do this together, we decided to homeschool our kids. We decided to go completely plant-based. Where, where um, were you living? Were you still in Utah or Southern Cal? Utah. Where were mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So okay. Utah, you know, I went okay. to Utah State for my PhD. That's right. Okay. okay. Yep. BYU is my undergrad. So I yep. went a yep. whopping two hours north to my, gra yeah. my graduate experience. Uh, wow. But we we made huge changes and changed the entire business. I actually let go of being a financial advisor just so I could focus on helping business owners and financial advisors, you know, manage their time and be more productive. Um, wow. But through that, you know, again, you can have it all. But the myth is that you are, tr you know, you should do it all. You don't have to do it all. Right. If you focus on your top three most important priorities that is where the balance comes. Okay. So that's the irony, right? Is like, wow, you look like you have it all. And yeah, but I'm not doing it all. I'm focusing on those most important things in my life. It just happens to be right. my spirituality, my physical health, and my relationships with my wife and family. So if those things are doing really well, then everything else seems to be balanced. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean... That, you know, if I'm focusing, spending time with my family and my, my wife and everything that I'm going to be working 70, 80 hour weeks because I can't. So right. I have to be super productive. And that yeah. was the next key that I found is, all right, be super productive. How can you, you know, have an incredible work schedule so you can only work 30, 35 hours a week. And I'm not one of those crazy workaholics. Um, so I got Did you just say 30 or 35 hours a yeah, week. That I only, I only work max 30, 35. Um, there's wow. no way. Yeah. Wow. And I have a multiple six figure business. It's successful. It's crazy. Um, but I think people think, Oh, I've got to work longer, right. In order for me to be successful, you even have, you know, bless his heart. Um, 
who's uh, Elon Musk, right? He comes out saying, you've got to work 90 hours. You've got to kill it. But every industry I've ever been in, academia even, they work you like crazy. Um, when I started in the financial industry, it was that workaholic trap. You got to work nights and weekends. Uh, being a business owner, they always tell you, you've got to kill it, right? You've got to put everything else aside. It's baloney. It's a total farce. It's a total myth. Wow. Because here's the thing, Ken, if you want to have balance and you are killing it for your business year in and year out, your health is going to go down the tubes. Your relationships aren't going to be meaningful. Um, and yeah, you might be successful in your business, but yeah. what is true success? Is that really balanced or is that just creating more stress for you knowing that you should be focusing on these other areas? So wow. as you're productive, the important part is that you create boundaries. Boundaries. We live in a time of cell phones, yeah. laptops. I got a device here that tracks my every move. Like what are boundaries? <laughs> exactly. What are <laughs> boundaries? You know, it's those limits that you set on your time. Um, and it's, it, it's how you be, um, how you keep yourself from becoming another productive workaholic. Cause really without boundaries, that's what we'll end up being. Um, I trained a guy and as I was helping him go from like 85 hours down to 55, okay, just down to something manageable. He had five kids of his own, Ken, um, wow. similar values as I do, but he was so stressed out because his business was taking off. He had 1800% increase in his mortgage business in one month. He was doing something right. He was featured in Forbes and, and, wow. and, uh, and, and uh, Inc. Magazine and other things. Um, great guy. But he turned to me, he's like, Travis, now you've taught me to be productive. What's going to keep me from coming back to work and working those 90 hours? <laughs> and yeah. that's, a, that's a legitimate concern, right? Because you can be incredibly productive in your time. And I, I realized it's, the, it's those boundaries. And it's doing things outside of work that are meaningful to you. It's finding what it is that you enjoy doing for fun and rec for, you know, hobbies, you know, those yep. things you do when you're not working, but Travis work is my hobby. Get a hobby. Seriously. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's working on your health. It's doing yeah. things outside of work. When you pad your schedule outside of your 30 to 40 hours a week, which I suggest, um, then you can keep yourself from going back and being that workaholic again. And yeah. you keep yourself from having the tendency that workaholics, overachievers have to continue to scale it and grow it and build it and justifying. I just need 10 more hours this week. You know, I just need to keep stretching it. Does that make sense? Dude, yeah. You know, I'm sitting here thinking, how quickly can I end this interview? I got stuff to do. <laughs> 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 I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, but no, I, I mean, look, I, we, we own a business. My wife and I work together and, and, you know, now we homeschool because of, you know, the, all the insanity. Um, right. And, and so, you know, it's a, it's a serious um, juggling act sometimes. It really, and especially yeah. for my wife, like she, she handles everything with our daughter and, and, you know, and I, I don't know, man, it's, it's, you're, you, this is amazing. I, I, yeah, 
I don't play for golf sure. anymore. I work so much. <laughs> I really don't. I work. I don't so either, much. man. I don't have time for it. It's, it's not the priority. <laughs> I love playing <laughs> golf, though. I want to play golf. Anyway, yeah, golf is fun. But if that amazing. if that's your thing, I have a client who who was a professional golfer and and she just wanted to get to that you know that feeling of going back and golfing and do yeah. it, make yeah. time for it. So. What I came up with is something that I call the make time method that's in the book, Achieving Balance. The make time method is you get incredibly productive at work, but yeah. you focus in on those boundaries that can keep you focused, creating an ideal calendar, having time to process so that you can you know, really be on top of things and you don't let things fall through your cracks. You actually have a time management system, but then be able to um, have goals outside of work that you can really focus on. Um, now the key to all this is actually, and I know, um, you know, this is something that a lot of people are going to be like, what Travis, you're crazy. It's, it's actually your marriage. Um, I've studied and studied and studied. And again, I found that those people that did really well are the ones that had good marriages. So not just marriage, like I do, I do No, it is good quality relationship. Right. When that relationship is is really tight and you can keep each other accountable to the things that you know you ought to be doing, then yeah. you go way past personal development. That is the true couple development that I'm talking about. And, you know, it starts off first with just having accountability session. Once a week, I suggest sit down with your spouse and talk about where you spend your time, what your goals are, and just share them with each other. Yeah. If there's issues that you need to talk about, then talk about them. But yeah. really, if you can do those three things once a week, you will be amazed at what difference happens in your life. And that's what my wife taught me. My wife and I, as we were trying to make changes to our parenting, changes to our diet, which is like religion, like people don't do that. That's crazy. But we've been plant-based for over 12 years and homeschooling or plant-based for 10, homeschooling for 12. Um so you and don't making, you don't eat steak? <laughs> nope, nope, no more, Ken. Jeez, come, <laughs> come on, man. I know no, that's what happens bit. when you research the relationship between red meat and heart disease. Like you go cutting that out. That was an easy one, dude. Oh red meat was gosh. easy. Oh. It was the fish. Fish. Fish is my my thing. Um, you don't eat fish either. Oh, uh, don't eat fish. <laughs> I don't eat chicken. I know I'm, I'm all sorts of crazy, Ken. I told wow. you. Um, <laughs> but, but when I when I started to make these changes, there's no way I could have done this alone. In fact, my wife started making these changes, and we realized that we really needed to support each other. We needed to help each other. Um, it just so happens that she had a major health uh, issue for her. That um, the only uh, the only thing she was actually diagnosed at age 26 herself. She was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. Your wife. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Wow. Yep. Yeah. And so, so, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because as we, we got talking and this is not a political thing because people like to politicize this research, but um, as I dug more into the research, we started making this change. And as she went plant-based, completely plant-based um, her symptoms within a few weeks were gone. She was off all the medication and you know, it was a, it was a huge deal. And I realized a good husband would do this with his wife. Yeah, <laughs> a yeah. good husband would give up all the things that he holds dear, you know, his meat, his fish, whatever, 
and he would do this. And so I did, and I didn't know it would be a, a long-term deal. But when I shed my 30 pounds and I've kept those off for now more than um, 12 years, I've stayed yeah. the exact same weight. Uh, you know, let me, you know, <laughs> a good weight, a good fit weight. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I never brought that back on. It's a testament to me that this is what we need to stick with. Now, I'm not saying that everybody has to be plant-based. I'm not a vegan going out there saying save the animals, although I do love animals. Um, that's not it. I'm doing this completely because this is something we felt we needed to do yeah. to save our health. Um, I, 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 I now have, I have a resentment towards you because I've been <laughs> wondering where in the heck these extra 30 pounds came from. Thank you. You gave them to me. I appreciate that. <laughs> there you go. There you go <laughs> it's, it's your fault. No, dude, I, I, this is amazing. I, and, and I, I met a guy when I lived out in Las Vegas, I, I met this guy. He played in the NFL for 11 years and, and, huge dude i mean just a giant of a man he was a lineman in the nfl so he was you know big dude and and i said well hey we'll go out to a steak dinner tonight at whatever the restaurant he goes i'm a vegan i said no you're not shut up I, he goes i'm a vegan dude i said no way man and we ended up going to a vegan restaurant i've never i'd never been to one and had i i mean i'm I had this most amazing veggie burger. I've never even heard of this and it was freaking amazing. So, yeah. you know, yeah. Well, anyway. and, and now it's actually a huge, like I wished I had um, invested in all the plant-based, you know, right. products that are coming yeah. out because there, there's a huge demand for it now. Demand yeah. is really picking up, which is great. Um, but, you know, me and Tom Brady, we were plant-based before it was cool. No, no offense to anybody else. Um, but Tom Brady, yeah, he's, he's plant-based and he attributes a lot of his, his agility and he's old for the NFL, but he's still playing, yeah. you know, Yeah, I know he's still playing and he's still killing it. Right. Yeah. No one can, no one can deny that. It's, um, it's luck. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's totally luck. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not Tom Brady, so I'm not the spokesman for being plant-based. And, um, but I will tell you that, you know, I still play soccer. I race mountain bikes. I'm 41 and I'm still running, um, swimming, doing all sorts of things. There's nothing that I can't do now that I wow. did when I was in my twenties. Um, you know, uh, I'm not superhuman. I I'm feeling my mortality about this point, but sure. the fact that, that I've kept it is, is a testament to the, to the diet and the lifestyle. So, so where, let me ask you this, where is, uh, I want to make sure that I, is your book on your website? Yeah. If you go to achievingbalancebook.com, okay. you can get the book there You get the book. Plus, um, if you go, I mean, you can buy it on Amazon, you can go get it for 1599 or you can buy it on my website, achievingbalancebook.com for shipping. The cost of shipping is like eight ninety nine, oh. And in addition, you'll also get a three-hour training that I did live um, wow. all about how to be productive and manage your time. So I'm going to teach you the productivity skills that I've been using for the last 12 years. Um, I'll also give you, uh, there's a 10-minute video training on how to you know, make your inbox, streamline your inbox. So I know that most people, their email, their social media is what clogs down their day. So I yeah. teach you how to do that 10 minutes, very simple. 
And then if people are interested and they want to spend 45 minutes with me to figure out what's really messing them up on their balance and they need that one-on-one, -on -one, you can apply for that. Uh, that's a, that's a $750 value that, that I give for free. Those that apply for that, you know, time with me, I'm, I'm happy to walk through and find out what's going on. Where are you at? Mr. Business owner, Mr. Financial advisor, uh, you know, miss business owner, a lady boss, right? Yeah. I'm happy to chat with you about those things, um, and be, and be helpful to, you know, to, to actually spend the time, but yeah, go to achievingbalancebook.com. Um, yeah. and I'm also, and this is the reason for the ultra cool mic right now, Ken, yeah. I've got some other uh, fancy equipment, but I'm in the process right now of recording the entire book on audio. So nice. those of you that are like, I don't want to read it. Ken, I know you bought the book and I know you, you're not going to read it. <laughs> uh, no, so for people like you, I have the audio that way. There's no, there's no excuse. You can plug it in the car. You can do it when you're working out. Um, or, That's you know, awesome. uh, so, but I will be reading that personally. And I take pride in knowing that I like when the author actually reads his or her own book. Yeah. I like hearing their voice. Yeah. I like hearing their inflections and knowing, um, to, you know, what to do. So look what thanks, Jay, Jay, for this, Jay, Jay Fox is a buddy of mine. He's a nationally syndicated radio host. Um, that look what he just said. And he, he, I, I don't know if you met him. He was over there, um, at the hotel hanging out with me for a while. I didn't get to meet you, Jay, but yeah, we should, we guy. should hang out for sure. I really so, appreciate so, that. Let me ask you a question. I, yeah. I, and I ask this, you know, this is, so this, this show is all about having a breakthrough, which obviously you've given a, a, an incredible roadmap for that. Um, what do you think, because I, I don't care what anybody says. I mean, the natural, I think that the, the default setting for most people that are trying to achieve financial wealth um, or gain or whatever um, the default setting is work more hours, work That's harder, right? right? Um, and and I don't. I mean, I agree with some of that. There, there, uh, you know, a, a jumbo jet puts out a ton of energy get getting to cruising altitude, so it takes a lot of work. But what what do you what do you think holds people back from achieving two things? One, financial success in life, and two balance, joy, happy, real happiness. Yeah. I think the, I could answer both questions with the same word. It's fear. It's fear. Okay. I write about it in the last chapter. Here I am writing a book about balance. And in the last chapter, I throw in a whole thing about fear. Why? Because if we're not careful, fear can be our greatest motivator. Yeah. And fear really has the ability, if we let it, to drive us to do things that we don't necessarily want to do. Now, now I'm not talking about like um, real fears. Like I'm afraid that if I get too close to the edge when I'm driving on a cliff that I will fall over and die in my car. Like that is a legitimate <laughs> fear. Okay? That's a healthy fear. Right. That's healthy. Yeah. That, that, right, that can right. keep you in boundaries sometimes. But it's these limiting blocks and fears that people have subconsciously of actually being afraid of success, Ken. And some, you know, they're afraid to fail. There's a lot more of those that I've encountered. But some are afraid of what success looks like. 
Right. Well, if I'm a religious person and I have money, does that make me evil? Right. There's that whole myth. Well, right. if I am successful, um, cause that's truly what I want to do. And I'm successful. You know, what does my family think of me? How do other people view me when I'm living in the gated community and I invite them over to my home and they live in the suburbs, right? Right. It's all of these perceptions that I find a lot of people really struggle actually with wanting to be successful. And it creates a cognitive dissonance, which is where the stress comes in. Having right. two competing ideas at the same time of having a subconscious fear of success but wanting to be successful. Mm. And people, when I, when I help point this out to them, when they're in their one-on-one -on -one discovery call with me, uh, you know, if they apply, they can, they can schedule that with me, but uh, I am able to help them pinpoint and it, see that maybe they do struggle with success. Uh, the other side of the fear tree is what I call it. The other side is fear of failure. This one's a lot easier to diagnose and see yeah. it's people that really struggle um, with, um, accomplishing much because they are afraid to even try. They're afraid to even try. And so they get started and they look like they're working full bore, but they're really not. They are distracted. They'd rather watch educational videos and make the calls that they need to. And they allow procrastination to sneak up on them. And then they blame a lot of other people. When in reality, they've got a fear of failure that's haunting them in their subconscious mind. So wow. these, this base motivator can actually drive you. And some people will say, well, it's because I'm afraid I'm going to fail. It's because I grew up and my parents told me I would never amount to anything. Or it's because of all these other things that um, you know, I'm, I'm worried about when I become successful, taxes and legal and <laughs> whatever yeah. else, name it, right? Um, yeah. or being a social, you know, person when I'm not very social, I'm an introvert. And now people are going to find out who I am. You know, I'm the author of all these books or whatever, you know, you know, the story, but yeah. the reality is when you can blow past these fears and you can take that and really conquer them and move these challenges away, we are really finding out we're the only ones that are really blocking our own success. So I don't care. I don't care if it's your health, it's your relationships, or it's your finances. If you're struggling in any one of those three areas, it's because you're afraid of something and you haven't figured out how to get past it. Now, a lot of people spend years and years trying to discover what that is. I am a pro at this, and this is why I offer this one-on-one -on -one, uh, meeting. In less than 30 minutes, I can figure out exactly where people are. And wow. I can help them discover if their fear of failure, fear of success, a combination of both. Um, and it, I really have it down to a science. So that's the value that I give people for that discovery call, Ken. Um, and it really has life-changing implications because once they can pinpoint, oh man, I never knew this was stopping me. This was getting in my way. Then we can make a strategy and we can start working towards what that entails um, the next part really is the make time method. It's getting super productive at work so you can spend the time um, to do the things outside. And then once you take action, action always trumps fear. Once yep. you act on the things that you want to accomplish, then you can be like, what, you know, overweight, what, where you go, you know, um, 
dead into up to my eyeballs. What six figure business? Like you can act out of your internal values that will then drive the fear away. Um, I can honestly say, you know, I'm afraid of a few things, but man, when the pandemic came, I became all sorts of fearful and I was like, what am I going to do? My entire yeah. business, Ken, of making this message go viral was on stages. And thank you, Chaz Wilson, for letting us have an actual in-person conference just last yeah. month. We loved it, loved it, loved it. It was amazing. It was absolutely fantastic to be around people again yeah. <laughs> and see faces. But yeah. my business model died um, in in the beginning of 2020. I saw it in January and it was, I was already getting people saying, hey, we're going to push this off. We're going to do this next year. I had dozens of things lined up. Yeah. And that's when I decided, Ken, I'll tell you, but we want to break through. I decided that I wanted to write this book, write this book 12 years ago. But in 2020, I said, forget it. If I don't do this now, I'm never going to do it. Yeah. And why not? I'll do it in the pandemic year when everything else has been turned on its head. Yeah. And so has balance. In fact, I've talked with so many, I've interviewed over 150 business owners and financial advisors to write the book. And I found that most people, even if they were a little bit out of whack, they're way out of proportion now with the pandemic. You know why? Because most workaholics say, I'm stressed. I'm going to work more yeah. because it's the thing that I think I can control. Yeah. And that's actually wow. one of the definitions of being a workaholic. So, it was wow. never a better time to write Achieving Balance. And once wow. I did, I started getting picked up on you know live shows like this, um, podcasts all over the world um, yeah. where you know I'm spreading this message during a pandemic year. And my business tripled last year. It tripled. Yep. We're set yep. to do it again this year, and it'll just keep going. But um, my breakthrough, one of the biggest walls I broke through, is my own fear that I am somehow not there yet. I have a PhD. It's okay. I'm just not there yet. Well, I've got to do this. No, no, no. You're right. not there yet. Like it was, it was 2020 do or die. Yeah. And I knew consciously I have what it takes. I've got the knowledge, but it was that imposter syndrome that yeah. was a fear of, of failure. Really. It was a fear of, of letting others down and making them think that I didn't know what I was talking about. Right. And I get on stage to, to share that message or coach people that somehow they would poke holes enough to be like, no, Travis, you don't know actually really what you're talking about. But when you write a book and you yeah. have to put down your life story, which is partly there in chapter one, and you put down all of those myths and all of the entire system on here, and then people throw reviews on Amazon like some of the amazing reviews out there, like this book totally changed my life. I thought I was getting time management and I got a whole new version of myself. Like those kinds of wow. reviews, it really does come back and say, Travis, you're onto something here. So, you know, if you want a piece of this, <laughs> you want yeah. the make time method, you know, go order the book, get it for shipping, um, order the pre-order the audio for 20 bucks. It's, wow. it's a steal. Um, and I, I, I love to share that message with the world. That's incredible, dude. You're, you're, you're an amazing guy. Um, I'm very, very grateful to know you, call you a friend and, and a new friend, but a friend nonetheless. And I think that you are, and Jay, you're right. Jay said it. This is a book the world needs right now. And it's so true. So true.
Thank you both. Appreciate it. Right. Thank you for Thank the you. opportunity, Ken. Thank you're, you. you're a great dude for having me on. Let me yeah. just, uh, you know, tell the story. It, it, it has been a lot of breakthroughs and, and I'm, I'm grateful for my own family, my own father, and, and really to kind of wrap this up and put a bow on it. Um, and I, I leave this at the end of the book though, is that, uh, you know, my father, he's the, his death was the catalyst, but in, in reality, um, it kind of saved my life. It was on a trajectory that was quite honestly ending up like a lot of workaholics that struggle and that are out of balance. Yeah. Um, but this really forced me to put myself on a course that, that needed huge breakthroughs and changes in my life to be where I am. And I'm just happy to share that message. So thank you. Incredible. Dr. Travis Perry, thank you so much. And and my wife is asking, where can people follow you? Where's the best place to follow you? I'm the most on LinkedIn, but I do have a Facebook page, a you know business Facebook page people can follow as well. You, know, you can hit me up there. It's uh, Dr. Travis Perry. Dr. Wow. Travis Perry, P-A-R-R-Y. Incredible. Travis, thank you for coming on and sharing your story, your message of hope. People need hope, man. And that's, um, I think your, your story is definitely speckled with a lot of hope. So thank you for being here and sharing. If you'll hang on for just a second, I'm going to end this, but thank you to everyone who watched. And if you shared this out, you're awesome. If you didn't share it out, you're still awesome, but we'd prefer you share it out. So share, share. Sharing is caring. Thanks dude. I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks. All right.